You're listening to a Big Finish production. Big Finish presents Doctor Who. Subscriber short trips. Home again, home again, by Felicia Barker. Read by Stephen Critchlow. The two travellers stood in the mouth of the ship and stared. It had been months, years. It was so hard to judge, and they'd crossed that threshold many times. Beyond it, purple skies and opal moons, fractal cityscapes that spanned the horizon, and stranger realms where sky and horizon didn't even apply. Worlds that had never known life, and worlds host to an infinite variety thereof. Beyond the doors of the TARDIS, the only constant was change. The only expectation was revelation. Every day when they left its margins, Ian Chesterton and Barbara Wright stepped into wonder. But nothing they had seen had ever shocked them so much as the sight of a few brimful steel bins behind Coal Hill School in Shoreditch, London. The sight froze them as no alien vista could. They stood and they stared. My God, whispered Ian, and his words broke the spell. Barbara burst with delighted laughter, pulling her friend close with great whoops of delight. Home, she cried. Ian, we're home. Ian too became awash with merriment, and he reciprocated Barbara's hug. The two of them bounced a jig in the doorway of the ship. Their revels were interrupted by the emergence of an ivory-topped cane, which gave Ian a prod. Now, now, what's all this commotion? asked the doctor, appearing at the other end of the stick, becaped and hatted. What are you doing dithering about in the doorway, hm? Ian and Barbara broke apart, and Ian clasped the perplexed old man's free hand, pumping it energetically. Doctor, you've done it! Just as you said you would, we're home! The doctor's head shot round. Eh? Coal Hill, cried Barbara. We're back! Thank you, doctor! The doctor finally took in the world beyond the ship. Eyes wide but brow furrowed. He too was briefly struck by the sight. Coal Hill! Home! I see. He gathered himself. Well, what did I tell you? Hm? Didn't I always say, eh? You ought to have been expecting this. Yes, ought to have expected. He trailed off, gazing distantly back into the ship, from which Susan now appeared. Hello, what's happening? She glanced curiously between the beatific smiles of the humans and the oddly stricken look of her grandfather. Barbara gave her a broad grin. We're home, Susan, Coal Hill, right in the schoolyard. Oh, Barbara, that's wonderful. I don't know what to do first. I've almost stopped thinking about it getting back. Gosh, there's going to be so much to sort out. No, 
I know it's silly, but I won't feel like I'm home until I've ridden a London bus. Now hold on, said Ian, still smiling but raising a steadying hand. I suppose we should make sure it's really home. We've had our hopes up before, after all. We should go and check this isn't, I don't know, a museum on Saturn or a dream or something. Yes, uh, yes, Chesterton is right, I think, said the doctor, nodding absently and rubbing his lapels. Well, it must be home. I'd recognise these buildings anywhere, said Barbara. Well, so would I, but we ought to make certain. Then let's go and find out, cried Susan, squeezing between her fellow travellers. Ian and Barbara eagerly followed. I shall uh, remain to, uh, to guard the ship, the doctor announced to their retreating backs. The three were too wrapped up in their excitement to detect the note of growing agitation in his voice. The sun shone overhead as the travellers walked the grounds, pointing out the most mundane details with excitement. The more familiar the sight, the more wondrous to behold. Rounding the front of the building, they were brought up short by the appearance of a small, mustachioed man with a briefcase in one hand and a newspaper under his arm. "'It's Horace Bradshaw,' whispered Ian. "'He's seen us,' Barbara replied. "'Ian, how will we explain where we've been?' "'Maybe he won't pry.' "'What if you know Mr Bradshaw not to pry?' hissed Barbara. "'Shh! He's coming.' Ian and Barbara straightened. Susan hovered behind them. Alibis from the mundane to the fanciful raced through the teachers' heads. But they had no time to confer. They tensed as Bradshaw approached. But their colleague offered nothing more challenging than a raised eyebrow. Afternoon, Chesterton, Mrs. Wright. Miss Wright, corrected Barbara. A good afternoon to you too, Mr. Bradshaw. Miss Wright, yes, of course. And this young lady is? Susan Foreman from 10B. Yes, uh, jolly good, jolly good. Horace Bradshaw had the peculiar affectation of puffing his cheeks during silences, and he did so now. Evidently, he was waiting for an explanation of the trio's business, which was not forthcoming. If you don't mind, Mr Bradshaw, we're just on our way to reception. Ian gently gestured the older man out of the way. Right, yes, yes, on you go, Chesterton. Although I was hoping I'd catch you. He lowered his voice to a conspiratorial mutter. Wanted a quiet word about the uh, Morris business, you know. Ah, yes, uh, right. Ian tried not to sound nonplussed. Might have to wait, I'm afraid. Sorry, Horace. Uh, I see. Well, perhaps I shall bend your ear before we get started, eh? Bradshaw gave Ian a wink. Perhaps, said a clueless Ian. And now we'd better get on. Good afternoon, Mr. Bradshaw. Barbara was walking before Ian had finished speaking, and he hastily fell into step. Susan returned Bradshaw's curious look with a smile and followed. Out of earshot, Ian turned to the others. He wasn't remotely surprised to see us, he said. Well, we can't have been gone long. No, said Barbara in an oddly pregnant tone. Whilst he was busy ignoring me, I took a look at his newspaper. Oh, Ian, Susan, it's June 1963. We haven't been gone at all. Chapter 4
The doctor was pacing outside the ship when his friends returned. He glanced up at their approach. Well, it is Coal Hill, said Ian. And it is 1963, added Barbara. Only we're five months too early. The doctor froze. Too early? Huh? Are you suggesting that we've arrived at a time before our departure? That's right, Grandfather, said Susan. It's only June. We must still be at Totter's Lane. The doctor clasped a hand to his brow. Oh, oh dear, dear me, I knew something was wrong. I sensed it. We must leave at once, quickly, into the ship, all of you. The doctor fumbled with his key. A steady on, doctor. Well, I'm not sure we want to leave just yet. You don't. Chesterton, we must. It is not a matter of choice. Do you know what should happen if I were to meet myself? Well, I'm sure it would be a terrible faux pas, smiled Ian, trying to undercut the doctor's intensity. From the moment we arrived, I knew something was wrong. I have crossed my own timeline, and that cannot happen. It is absolutely forbidden. Now come inside, please, and let us be away from here. Doctor, said Barbara, if you can't stay, we understand, but maybe it's time we said goodbye. It's been a most incredible adventure. But now that we're back... Miss Wright, none of us can stay. It is out of the question. To leave without you... He shook his head. Oh, Doctor, we know you'll miss us. Yes, but I'm sure that you'll get the ship working one of these days, said Ian, and you'll come and visit. Absolutely. There'll be tea and biscuits waiting for you any time you like. Tea and biscuits? Tea and biscuits? snapped the Doctor. Is that what you think this is about? Hm? Ridiculous. Foolishness. Don't you see? You already live here. There isn't a life for you to return to. I understand, Doctor, said Ian, but it's only five months. I'm sure that we can lie low for a while. Lie low? Can't you understand the consequences, you stupid boy? You might create a paradox that would threaten this planet. To remain would be the most selfish irresponsibility. Grandfather gasped Susan. Ian bridled. Selfish irresponsibility. To stay in my own place and time. Doctor, I think the selfish irresponsibility was you, abducting us to begin with. Uh, I... There's no reasoning with you. You simply cannot comprehend. Of course we can't, if you won't explain anything, snapped Ian. Doctor, said Barbara, struggling to keep her tone level. Uh, perhaps if you were a little less impatient, you could make us understand. You do not need to understand. You simply need to do as I say. The doctor regretted the words as soon as they were out, but he could not reverse them. Unable to turn back, he could only plunge on. Well then, so be it. Stay here and see what happens. But on your own heads, be it. And without looking back, the doctor stormed into the TARDIS, slamming the door behind him. Oh dear, whispered Barbara. Susan took her arm. I'm sorry, Barbara, but don't worry. Grandfather's just upset to see you go. We both are. But glad, too, that you're home. Yes, I'm sure you're right, Susan, said Ian, softening. Well, thank you for being such lovely company, these past... Uh... <laughs> Do you know, I haven't the faintest idea how long it's been. They took a few moments together for farewells and smiles, tins with sadness. 
Eventually, Susan looked back at the TARDIS. The doctor had not returned. I suppose I should check on Grandfather, she mumbled, scuffing her shoes. Farewell, both of you. Goodbye again, Susan, smiled Barbara. Yes, uh, goodbye, Susan, said Ian. And do say our farewells to the old man when he calms down. They exchanged one final look of companionship, and then the doors of the TARDIS creaked open and shut, and Susan was gone. Let's not stand outside, said Barbara in the silence. Somehow I can't bear it. Ian nodded, and giving Barbara his arm, they began to walk away from the old blue police box. Within the other space of the TARDIS, Susan stood by the closed doors and glared at her grandfather. The doctor fidgeted with the controls. Well, Susan harumphed, failing to get a reaction, she continued, Grandfather, I hope you're happy. The doctor looked up irritably. I'm nothing of the sort, child. Now leave me be. You might at least have said goodbye. A momentary shadow crossed his features. So, gone are they? And why would I say such a thing? Hm? I cannot condone their leaving. The old man shook away the thought and returned to tinkering. Susan's jaw tightened. Then why did you drive them away? The doctor's head snapped back up. He stared at the furious young woman facing him down from across the room. I? 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 Don't be ridiculous. I cannot be blamed for this. Now enough, child. Clearly you cannot grasp the consequences of such actions. Susan's response was immediate and automatic. Her eyes flashed. And is that why I got no say when you took me away from my home? The words broke across the room like a whiplash. The doctor straightened, pale. He gazed numbly at his granddaughter and could find no words. Susan clapped a hand to her mouth and ran from the ship. The door closed once more. The doctor continued standing, in silence, completely alone. Ian and Barbara were solemn for a while following their departure, but... They were finally back among much-missed haunts. The sun was high above them, and eventually their moods brightened to meet it. It's almost as though I can feel that we're back in my feet, said Ian. I know what you mean. It's a strange sensation. Like feeling solid ground beneath my feet after a long sea voyage. That's exactly it, said Barbara, as they reached the end of the street. She surveyed their options. Where shall we go? I don't know. I suppose I was walking home. Oh, say, there's a thought, Barbara. We'll need new digs. What? Think about it. We can't go back to our old houses. Someone's already living there. <laughs> Us. Susan had little sense of how long she'd been huddled, tearful against the school wall, when a sullen shadow loomed over her. Ah, foreman, what's wrong with you? A pinch-faced boy looked her up and down. Sid Morris, another student. He'd menaced Susan for a few weeks that summer at Coal Hill. Go away, Sid, sniffed Susan. Can't do that, foreman, he leered. Nah, that's on you. Think I want to hang around this ditch? Nah, my useless mother's been called in cause your teachers stirred the pot. Susan tried to move, but the boys stepped around her, boxing her in. 
Wonder who's snivelling more, her or you? It'd be different if they called me Dad. He respects me. He lets me do what I want, Sid leaned in. You best hope this meeting don't interfere with me business, Foreman, or I ain't gonna be pleased. The sun was as bright, but rather lower, when Ian and Barbara returned to Coal Hill. Lacking any better idea, they had retreated to the empty school to plan. It was blind luck that Barbara was the one to lead the way into the staff room. She was halfway through the door when she stopped abruptly, and Ian nearly ploughed into her. Barbara planted a hand on his chest and shoved him backwards before he could speak. Hello, Ian, she said loudly to someone behind the door, then closed it in her friend's face, somewhat harder than necessary. The befuddled Ian found himself staring at the closed door, which muffled the now noticeable sound of voices, including his own. On the other side of the door, Barbara held her nerve as she greeted Mr Bradshaw, a woman she recognised as the parent of Sidney Morris, and, most distressingly, Ian Chesterton. The wrong Ian Chesterton. This is what Bradshaw had been muttering about. Last summer, Sidney Morris had started causing trouble in class. Barbara had become involved when Sidney started menacing Susan, and had conferred with Ian when she grew unhappy with Bradshaw's approach. There had been a meeting with Sidney's mother, but Barbara had found her recollection of events had gone peculiarly hazy. Had she been late? She didn't remember being there. She couldn't have been, since she was here now and there was no sign of her being here then. Barbara's head was swimming. She poured tea from the staff room urn and wondered what to do. Outside, Ian leaned against a wall display of the water cycle and took a breath. He'd scarcely begun to collect himself, however, when he heard the tapping of footsteps from the corridor. He rocked back to his heels and scanned to see who was approaching. Barbara. Clearly, Barbara had been due at the meeting, and so, of course, here she was. The Barbara of this time, here for the meeting happening at this time. The meeting in which Ian's Barbara already sat with this Barbara's Ian. It was time for some fast action. Uh, and since, uh, since we had to leave his father's house, um, you see, Sidney's been moving around a lot. Uh, we were staying at my mother's. But it's so small, you know. And then we found a place, but the landlord... So now he's back with his gran, and it's... Uh... I'm sure once things settle down, he will as well. Barbara had much sympathy for the nervous mother, but she was herself too anxious to really listen. She sat rigid in her chair, watching the door, waiting for the other Barbara to appear. The meeting ticked on around her and she contributed nods and mms, too afraid to say more. The other Ian shot confused glances at her reticence. She avoided his gaze and sipped tightly at her tea, pretending to listen to Bradshaw. Now, uh, Mrs Morris. Uh, Noakes, um, it's Noakes now, said the young woman, dropping her head. Ah, uh, yes, said Bradshaw dryly. Well, Mrs... Nooks. I hear what you're saying, and I do not doubt that the uh, lack of a proper family unit has had a deleterious effect on the boy. 
Nonetheless, that is no excuse for delinquent behavior, and I would add your current residential situation is perhaps something you might have anticipated before you made such choices as you... A flame of ire flickered within Barbara, igniting the day's pent-up tension in a bloom of anger. She drew herself up and replaced her tea with a sharp clack. Mr. Bradshaw, I do not think it is within this meeting's purview to launch a moral inquiry, and nor do I think we have the grounds to judge one. And quite apart from anything else, matters of blame have no bearing upon the point in question, which is the impact upon Sydney. Mrs. Noakes gave Barbara a thankful smile. Barbara returned her look as she ploughed on. Sydney needs a place of stability, and if you take that away from him, that's when you're going to lose him. When he's alone, without roots. You won't have solved the problem. You'll simply have washed your hands of it. The man Barbara had begun to think of as old Ian blinked at her with stunned respect. Ah, well, I think... Miss Wright has put my thoughts better than I could. So strange to hear herself addressed by Ian in that formal, professional way, after everything they'd shared. Yes, there are obviously reasons here for Sidney's behaviour, which we can understand even if we don't excuse it. And I think if we show some communal spirit, we can overcome these problems to everyone's best interest. Bradshaw was still watching Barbara with a chewing toffee twist to his mouth. He did not appear to have heard Ian at all. Miss Wright, you appear to be quite exercised. Would you like to take a moment? Barbara resented Bradshaw's derision, but, her frustration vented, she was fast recalling her situation, so she pounced on the proffered escape. Actually, Horace, I think I shall get a breath of air... Thank you, she said with cold formality. Then she rose and crossed calmly to the door, only slumping in exhaustion when in the corridor once more. It was uncanny to Ian seeing Barbara as was and knowing that this both was and was not the woman he knew. What are you doing out here? she asked. Waiting for you, Ian said, brain in high gear. They've moved us to 3E. Come on. Room 3E was in a far corner of the building, which gave Ian a minute to plot his next move. This turned out not to be enough, and he was still groping for the next part of his plan when they arrived at 3E. It was, of course, empty. Ah, well, that's strange, said Ian, trying to conceal his complete lack of surprise. Oh, now maybe it was 5E. Oh, Ian, tuttered Barbara. Now you wait here in case they turn up. I'll go and check down the corridor. He set off at a stride before Barbara could respond, hoping she wouldn't follow. As soon as he cleared the corner, he broke into a jog. The staff room was in wholly the opposite direction to room 5E, and Ian was forced to detour through the schoolyard to avoid passing the Barbara waiting at 3E. Hustling back in by the history block doors, he was so preoccupied with the thought of Barbara that he nearly collided with her in person. The moment Barbara had escaped into the silent hall, she realised that, of course, Ian hadn't simply lingered outside, and she had no idea where he was. Arbitrarily, she headed towards her old history room, and was setting quite a pace when a door from the yard flew open. Her surprise was compounded when Ian loomed through it. 
The two teachers backed up, each mirroring the other's wary hesitation. Ian? Barbara hesitated. Ah, Barbara, I, I thought that you were... Ah, yes, I was... For an unsettling moment, Ian's face was both alien and familiar, as she searched for a sign of which Ian he was. Then she saw, in his expression, the very same Paul of the Uncanny, and she knew. It is you, isn't it? You, you, I mean. To Barbara's immense relief, Ian nodded and smiled. Yes, it's me. Me, me. And since you're asking, you must be you, you, too. Barbara laughed. Yes. Oh, thank heavens for that. I was trapped in that meeting, and I kept expecting the other me to walk through the door. Luckily for you, she ran into me. I left her waiting in 3E. Ian, we need to get out of here. She could be on her way back right now. That's going to be a strange meeting. Barbara stopped and frowned. Yes, I recall it was rather... Oh, Ian, are we changing things just by being here? We can't go to our own houses or talk to anyone we know. It's like another alien planet. Yes, perhaps we were too harsh on the Doctor. He was right. We're no closer to home than we ever were. He said we could destroy the planet. He was just trying to scare us. Are you sure? We really have no idea. Ian nodded. You're right. Let's go back to the ship. Barbara chewed her lip. I only hope he hasn't already gone. In the TARDIS, the Doctor wavered between agitation and desolation. Mumbling, he paced the console room, glancing about as though a resolution might be inscribed in its incredible geometries. Oh, my child! Why should I have involved you? Foolish! Selfish! All because I couldn't bear to go alone! I had to leave. It was necessary. Yes, absolutely necessary. But my home... Perhaps I thought if we were together... But I had no right. The doctor fell still beside one of the ship's distinctive round panels. He stroked a finger across it thoughtfully. Less agitated now, more certain. No more excuses. I did what I must. But now... Now I must undo all this intrusion on your lives. Perhaps, perhaps after all this splendid adventure, I must leave it all behind, as I should have from the beginning. Maybe this choice has been following me through time, eh? Yes, I have to do it. I must. But whatever the doctor had resolved, it was interrupted by a rapping from the doors. Susan! He worked the door controls, but it was not his granddaughter who appeared. Ian and Barbara hesitated in the doorway. The doctor blinked up at them for a moment, then dropped his gaze. So, uh, you have returned? Yes, doctor, said Ian, stepping back into the ship. You were right. Gloat if you must. Gloat? No, dear boy, I have nothing to gloat about. Doctor, we're sorry, said Barbara. Taking Ian's hand, we should have appreciated how worried you were, even if we didn't understand why. The doctor was looking at them now. He took half a step forward, then faltered. 
I, too, must apologise. Not only for my outburst, but for all of it. The liberties I've taken. I took Susan from her world without thought for the life I was upending. When you discovered me, I repeated that mistake. Now I shall make amends. The only way I can. Doctor, Ian interrupted. I can tell you've changed your tune, but you're making no more sense than before. The doctor drew himself up and met his companion's eye. For now, simply know that I will get us home. All of us. Today. You found a way? The doctor sighed. <sighs> I should have considered it much, much sooner. Now, please, would the two of you find Susan? I must remain here to prepare. Yes, he murmured once his guests had again departed. I must prepare. He opened the honeycomb recess in the ship's wall and withdrew an assemblage of square metallic plates, the device that would summon his people. It was time to stop running. Susan's voice was more weary than upset. Please, Sid, leave me alone. But the boy had time to kill, and he wasn't going to relinquish his distraction. Nah, sorry, Foreman. I'm enjoying your company. Maybe you should have thought before you went and got my mum involved. Can't run home to mummy and daddy, so you had to go run into mine, is it? Maybe you should have her. Freaks together. Just go home, cried Susan. You, yelled her tormentor. Then his eyes darkened. Ah, oh, wait. Your parents don't want you there, do they? So you have to hang about with Grandad and get in my way. That's not true. Oh, yeah. Why ain't I ever seen him then? Not once. Fire thawed the numbness of Susan's temper. Don't you dare say another word about my parents, she hissed. Just because your father picks you up in that ridiculous sports car doesn't mean he cares about you. I felt sorry for you, Sid Morris, waiting on the wall after everyone else has gone because he still hadn't come. At least my grandfather will never forget me. Sid lunged and clamped a steel fist around Susan's wrist. He fixed her with a cold, furious glare. My dad's away making money. Because he's an important man, Foreman. And he's going to make me an important man. And important men get respected. And if they don't, they do something about it themselves. And ain't nobody gets in the way. He was lifting and turning his arm so that Susan was pulled onto her toes by her twisting wrist. She gasped in pain. Sidney Morris! Ian and Barbara bore down upon the boy at speed. He dropped Susan abruptly. The two teachers flanked him, penning him between them. We have just come from a meeting with your mother, Sydney. Barbara hadn't used her best teacher voice in some while, but it never left her. And you might be surprised to know we were on your side. But when I see you acting like this, I've half a mind to go straight back in there and have you expelled. This was, in fact, the very last thing Barbara would consider. But Sid didn't know that. Barbara and I have just ensured you won't be barred from Coal Hill, Sid. 
added Ian. And whilst I can read that look on your face, I guarantee you it's the best future you've got. Now, I believe you're supposed to be waiting in reception, Barbara continued, so I suggest you go back inside and wait for your mother before anyone notices you missing and all our hard work is spoiled. The teachers maintained their authoritarian demeanour until the boy had tramped back inside, scowling. Then they dropped down beside Susan. Susan, it's us. The proper us. Fresh tears blossomed and ran down Susan's cheeks. Barbara put an arm around her. Don't worry, Susan. Sid Morris is in the past now. Forget about him. The girl sniffed and shook her head. I don't care about Sid. It's Grandfather. I said some awful things. Barbara gave a comforting smile. Don't worry. We just saw the doctor. Everything is all right. In fact, he says he can get us all home, even you. He really sounds certain of it this time. This had the desired effect of stopping Susan's tears, but they were replaced by a look of sheer panic. What? But there's only one way he could do that. He mustn't. And without further explanation, she pushed her friend away and sprinted back into the school. Well, said Ian, that wasn't what I expected. No, Barbara agreed thoughtfully. But now I think about the strange mood he was in. I don't know what, but I have a terrible feeling the doctor intends to do something drastic. When Susan burst into the TARDIS, the doctor was sat meditatively before the console. He had assembled the silvery panels of his device into a cube that spun and shone with an alabaster glow. Grandfather, no! Susan lunged across the room and dashed the strange spinning box from the air. Its sides sprung apart before they hit the floor, and the doctor's eyes sprang open just as abruptly. Susan! For an instant the doctor looked stricken with a terrible pain, and then his face became stern and intense, as it often had before. Something, though, was different now. More raw, more fraught. The doctor was already reaching for the pieces of his worrisome device, but he was looking at his granddaughter. I must, my child, I must. Once before I was faced with doing what must be done, but I could not face the cost alone. So I involved you and thence Chesterton and Miss Wright. Now it is once more upon me to do what is required. When I set out on this journey, I had no choice, no. But you all should have, and I took it from you. Now I must make amends, and there is no other way. Perhaps, in time, the others... I might have... But what of you, my dear Susan? How else can I give you back your life? But, Grandfather, I don't want it back. Not instead of you. Listen to me. You're doing it again. You're taking away my home, and you're not giving me a choice. Don't you realise that this is my home? When I was at Coal Hill, there was a bully. I never told you because I knew how you felt and I didn't want you to make me leave again. But he would pick on me whenever he saw me. And do you know what I wanted when he did? I wanted to be home, Grandfather. Not on Gallifrey, but here, with you. The doctor had no ready reply to the young woman, 
standing indignant and tearful over him. Before either could speak again, they're interrupted by the entrance of their two friends. Susan turned, beseeching. Ian, Barbara, please help me talk to Grandfather. Not a word more, Susan, the doctor cautioned in a low voice. For their sakes, I have already imposed so much on them. I cannot make them complicit in my transgressions as well. Susan was stricken, but Ian came forward and clapped a hand on her shoulder. It's all right, Susan. I dare say we don't understand half of what's going on here, but we don't need to. Ian's right, nodded Barbara. She looked across the console to the mysterious old man. Doctor, we trust you. So if there's things you can't always explain, we understand. Although you could be a little more polite. What Barbara means is, whatever's going on, it's obvious you're about to do something more than we would ever ask of you. We know that you'll get us back eventually. Whatever all of this is. Ian gestured at the tableau of Doctor, Susan and the broken cube. Nowhere could feel like home if it came at your expense. Yes. Susan fell to her knees beside her grandfather and held his cheek, pleading. Oh, do please listen, grandfather. The old man looked into Susan's face. His eyes began to glisten. Her child. The doctor rose weakly to his feet. His voice was quiet. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Barbara. Chesterton. I promise you, I will get you home. He allowed a small chuckle and raised his voice. But, first of all, someone will have to close that door. Hmm? Ian did the honours, and the doctor threw the ship into motion. The right place, but the wrong time. The TARDIS released its hold on Coal Hill of 1963 and ebbed back into the vortex. Caught once more in the currents of space and time, the travellers did not know how long it might be before the Doctor's promise was fulfilled. Ian and Barbara knew better than to expect immediate success, but they knew too that the Doctor was sincere in his oath. Susan did not know if she would see the world of her birth ever again, but she no longer saw her future there. It was somewhere out amid the universe, in the spiralling space-time vessel she felt as close to it now as she had ever been. As it was, their next destination would not be their last, and nor was the one after that. The future held more travels yet. But together, aboard the TARDIS, the ship's passengers knew that wherever it might take them, they would still be home. Yeah!